Good morning, everybody. Welcome once again to our Sunday morning digital cathedral coming from Houston, Texas. Glad to have you with me today. It's a beautiful day, June 21st, 2020. And I hope that wherever you're at, uh, everything is working well and life is going good for you. This morning's a special day. We're starting the book of Philippians. If you've been with me over the last several months since the beginning of the year, we're working our way systematically, chapter by chapter, through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. So this morning we're in Philippians chapter 1. Every letter that Paul wrote had a, had a different emphasis. When Paul wrote it to, to the different churches, whether it was Galatia or the, the uh, believers at Ephesus, he had a particular thing that he was trying to drive home. And what I'm trying to do in this series is to bring what Paul said to that generation, what they needed to, to fill in the blanks in their life, to make their life the abundant life that Jesus promised. What I'm trying to do is to bring into this generation where it's applicable, uh, where we can advance the manifestation of the sons and the manifestation of the daughters in our, in our culture as well. And I have one target, really. My target in everything that I do is to bring us to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So frankly, I'm growing as fast as I can grow so that I can lead you where we need to go, and that is to fully manifest as sons and daughters of God. And that's what's going on in the world today, so it's pretty exciting. But every book that Paul wrote had a different emphasis. If you remember, in the book of Galatians, Paul was death on a mixture message of law and grace. If you ever want to get some good teaching or some big, good background material on law and grace, then the book to go to is Galatians. Paul was, he just wiped the mixture that the Judaizers were trying to bring into the church totally away. Then the book we just finished uh, studying last week, the book of Ephesians, Paul has a different emphasis. In the book of Ephesians, Paul traces our origin, not back to the cross or even back to Adam and Eve. He takes us back before the foundation of the world to show us what our authentic identity was. The emphasis on the uh, book of Ephesians uh, was twofold. First of all, it was to reveal our authentic identity, which was divinity. We are partakers of the divine nature. And remember, we Paul split the book, really, the six chapters into two distinct divisions. The first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul told them who they were, what their identity was, what their origin was. And then the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians, he challenges them to walk it out, to manifest it. So that brings us up to the book of Philippians. In the book of Philippians, Paul uses the word gospel more than any other letter. And his concern with the Philippians was their ongoing relationship with Christ, in particular uh, during anything that they might face in life. Paul wrote this book from prison, and the prison that Paul was in was not like a, a modern prison here in America. It wasn't like a federal penitentiary where there might be a golf course and a tennis court. Paul was in the worst possible circumstances that you could imagine in his prison. He was in stocks. Uh, prison was a, a dark dungeon type setting. He was back by himself. It was, you know, it was a very depressing surrounding that Paul found himself in in prison. So it was out of this, out of this circumstance that Paul found him in, found himself in, that he wrote the book of Philippians to encourage them that whatever they face, to have confidence and assurance that God is with them in whatever they face, whatever whatever circumstance they find themselves in. God isn't. God isn't removed somewhere looking at you, but he is actually enduring the situation with you. So he's teaching them that no matter what we face, that we can advance the ball down the field. And that's what Paul does. He does a masterful job in Philippians out of this, this, this horrendous circumstance that he finds himself in when he could have been depressed. He could have thrown his hands in the air and said, what, God doesn't care about me anymore. He's totally forgotten me. How could, how could I be abandoned in my worst time when I'm back in this dark, stinking uh, place that I find myself in that I'll probably never get out of? I'm old, uh, my health isn't good, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to die here in this prison. It, it would have been a time he could have just freaked out. But Paul didn't do that. Paul knew that his job was still to move the ball down the field. And so he writes to the Philippians to encourage them that they too 
in whatever they find themselves. And I'm encouraging you today, whatever you find yourselves in, take heart. The book of Philippians is your book if you're finding yourself in a tough situation. So I want to read a couple of three verses from this first chapter. We're going to look at the first 18 verses this morning. I'm not going to read all 18 verses, but there are a number of verses that stand out in this first chapter. So if you have your Bible and you want to follow along with me, I'm reading out of the New King James, which I normally do. I use a lot of Bibles to study, and I've probably got, looking over my shelf, I've probably got 15, 18 different versions. I, I generally pull out the New King James, the Mirror, an NLT, New Living Translation. Then I usually get a, a literal, like the Concordant literal or the Young's literal, and I kind of um, trace through all of them. And I do a little bit of word study if I have to, but I, I generally, between the Mirror and the NLT and the Young's literal and the New King James, I can get a pretty good slant on what the, what, what the writer's trying to address. So let me read just a few verses. Let me read verses six and 10. Then I want to read verses 12 to 18. Now keep in mind, Paul is writing, and I'm speaking to you today, because if you're not in a tough situation, you've either just come out of one, you're in one, or at some point you're going to face one. So what we're going to study in the book of Philippians uh, is very useful in those times. All right, now here's what Paul says, verse 6, chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 6. Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he that began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm confident that the one that began a good work in me, even though I'm in this prison cell, I'm back here in a tough circumstance, he's the one that's gonna complete it. All right, verse 10, verse 10. That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Boy, that's a powerful, that's a powerful piece of advice right there that you may be sincere and without offense. What, see, it's easy to get offended when you're in a bad situation. We're gonna look at several situations in scripture this morning when they had opportunity, they could have really, really felt like, man, is, is it really worth it? <laughs> what I'm going through, do I just need to back it off a little bit? I mean, is it really worth it? And he says, you know what? You just need to be sincere and without offense. Now let me pick it up in verse 12. And I wanna take it from verse 12 down through 18 because Paul says some really good things. He said, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Don't you love that attitude? He said, I'm writing to you from prison, but I want you to know that even though I'm here, bad situation, bad circumstance, the things that have happened to me have turned around. They actually have advanced the gospel. Verse 13, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. I'm not, I'm not kicking against this. I'm not complaining about it. In this situation, Jesus has a plan. Verse 14, and most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains. <clears throat> There's just something about a strong example. When you see a person in a really tough situation, and you know what? They can buck up spiritually under that, and they don't give up. They don't back up but they still walk in love, they walk in forgiveness, they demonstrate grace. There's something about that that makes us bold. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, others have seen the, the situation I'm in and it has actually increased their strength and their boldness. My goodness, how, how good that is. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, some also from goodwill. The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, uh, supposing uh, to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I'm, I am appointed unto the defense of the gospel. He said, what, what is it? Some are doing it for a good motive, some are doing it for a bad motive. Doesn't really matter. Paul said, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. We take the gospel, we move it forward. We take the kingdom, we advance it. In everything Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. So Paul, Paul is showing us, and I just picked out seven or eight verses out of those 18 verses, because they were the ones that really stood out. Paul is showing us that there are seasons and times that we come through. There are levels we come through. When I look back at my life, there have been three distinct 
uh, levels of spiritual consciousness that I have come through. And I bet there are a lot of you that are watching on the digital cathedral today, you have come through the same three phases. Now check it out, see if this, if this bears witness with you. And in each of these phases, each of these different levels of consciousness, uh, we were advanced, we, we moved forward. Some of them we were stuck in maybe longer than we should have, but we still continued to advance. All right, the three are this. My first phase was, I spent way too many years here, but the first phase of my spiritual life was when I lived for Jesus. Very works oriented, trying to please the Lord. The whole idea was that Jesus died on a cross to save me from hell and to give me a ticket to heaven. So I wanted to do everything in my life to please him, to serve him, to honor him, to reverence him. So I lived for Jesus, all right? Then the second phase came more in my charismatic years. And that was where the second phase where Jesus lived through me. You know, the gifts flow through you. He was manifesting through you. Um, and so what we tried to do in that phase of our development, that level of consciousness, was to try to keep this vessel pure so that he could work through us. But because he was working through us, we did a lot of works. I prayed a lot, I did warfare a lot because he's working through me. I was his arms, I was his legs, I was his feet on the earth. If I didn't do it, it wouldn't get done. He was depending on us. Uh, he put the weight on our shoulders that if things were to happen, uh, if it was to be, it was up to me. That was kind of the, the, the little catchphrase. If it is to be, it's up to me. So I had to do the praying, I had to do the warfare, I had to do advance the kingdom. He was working through me. So I wanted to make sure that I removed every obstacle out of my life uh, that would hinder that flow. Now when I discovered grace, it was another ball game. It took me to another level. When I discovered grace, unconditional love, mercy that endures forever, the message of inclusion. This is the phase I'm in now. This is where I'm living. I'm not living for Jesus. He isn't living through me, but he is actually living as me, and I'm living as him. I'm living out that verse in John 14, in verse 20, when Jesus said, in that day you'll know that I'm in the Father, and that you're in me, and that I'm in you. So that's the highest level that I'm walking in right now. And I think that's leading us into where Paul is taking us, which is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ or manifesting fully as Jesus and Jesus as us, All right? So that kind of takes us down through verse 18. I've got some more things I wanna say. It's gonna take me two weeks to get through this very first chapter, but the thesis, really the, the subject title of the, of the whole book of Philippians, I think is outlined very well in that sixth verse. And this is what Paul's gonna talk about for the whole, whole of the book of Philippians. He lays it out in that sixth verse when he says this, being confident of this very thing. Paul said, this is where my trust is. This is where my confidence is. And this is what I wanna encourage you with today. Paul's encouraging them, I'm encouraging you. We are confident of this very thing, that the one who started this good work in us, that has moved us from living for Jesus, Jesus living through us, to where now we're getting a real understanding that we are the Christ in the earth, that he is living as us, we're living as him. We are full partakers of the divine nature. We're joint heirs with Jesus. That he that began a good work in us is gonna be the one that completes it. So there, there's a growth pattern that Paul outlines in these 18 verses, a growth pattern that grace starts, grace finishes, and everything between the start and the finish is grace-oriented. Grace takes us the whole way. It starts us, it finishes us, and it works through us the entire way. And grace is a person. Grace isn't a doctrine. It's not a, it's not a principle or a concept. Grace is a person. His name's Jesus. So Jesus is the one that's working as you, fulfilling his plan, his destiny, his, his desire in the earth as you and you as him. Now grace produces certain things and he points out in verses 9, 10, and 11, which I didn't read, but let me just show you some of the things that he says on this journey that you and I are on now, living the Christ as us life. There's some things that it produces. So look, look at verse nine. He said, in this I pray that your love may abound. All right, so what's gonna happen? First of all, love is gonna abound in our life. There's a whole new level of love that's coming into the body of Christ. It's powerful, it's good. 
We're, we're even beginning to treat our enemies, those that have used us wrong, that have, that have, have you know, been malicious toward us. We're still developing a love toward them. We, we, we pour out a love to them. It's not us doing it. It's the Jesus as us that loves them, right? So he said, the first thing is that your love may abound more and more in all knowledge and all discernment. So we're, we're getting a discernment in this. We're getting sharper in the spirit. And that you may approve the things that are excellent and that you may be sincere without offense, verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. This is good stuff. This is what, this is what grace will develop in you, not because you're trying, but because that divine influence is producing tremendous effortless change in you. You're changing effortlessly, and all you're doing is resting in him. He's doing the work. He's doing the effort. You're working with him. The work that you do, your part is to rest and to cooperate. It's to see what he says and then do it. It's just respond. Our life is a life of response. When he, when he initiates, we respond. That's the oneness. That's the togetherness. Being filled with all the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of the Father. So um, it produces. Grace, grace will have its way. That 18th verse that we finished off with. Let me read that again. He said, what then? Only that in every way, whether by pretense or in truth, that Christ may be preached. And this I rejoice in, and I will continue to rejoice, and I won't stop rejoicing, Paul said. So I get, I get excited about Paul's writing. I love the writings of Paul. When I see what Paul was writing to them for their time and their purpose, then I get excited when I see that the spirit of truth, isn't this amazing? Almost 2,000 years later, the spirit of truth is working the same truth into us that, that, that Paul was working into the church at Philippi, church at Ephesus, the church at Galatia. But he's doing it on a different level. I mean, it's 2,000 years later. We should be a little farther down the road than these Gentiles were that had no spiritual background, had no spiritual understanding. But the spirit of truth is working the same truths into us that that, he, that the spirit of truth was working into those that Paul was writing to. So verse six, six tells us from the beginning to the end, there, there are a lot of levels. Grace takes us through many levels. One level prepares us for the next level. We go one level at a time. And the deeper the work, the, 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 the deeper that the spirit of God works in you, you know, maybe the, I could say it this way. Maybe some of the, the more the, the more trials you face, <clears throat> excuse me, the more adversities you face, the deeper the cross works in your life, the bigger the building's going to be. The deeper the, 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 the preparation, the deeper the level that he's going to bring you into. Think for me with me for just a minute. Think about all the great men and women of the old of the Old Testament. Think about Abraham for just a minute. Look at the preparation he went through. The, the word of God was working in Abraham. He called him when he was 75. At 75, he said, I want you to leave everything. Leave your family, the surroundings. Don't take anything with you. Just pack your stuff up and go, right? Don't take, don't take any, he took, he ended up disobeying. He took his nephew Lot with him and it caused him a problem down the line, which it always does. But he responded at 75 and the word of God worked in him for 25 years. It didn't fulfill, but it worked deeply in him. It didn't fulfill till he was 100 years old. And then Isaac was born. So there's 25 years of preparation, right? The, the, he prepared him deeply. The, the, the work of God was deep in him because it was a, it was a deep work that he had to do. How about, how about Moses? Moses was was 40 when he, when he fled Egypt to the backside of the desert. He spent the next 40 years on the backside of the desert. He was 80 years old when he went back to Pharaoh. It, the word of God worked in him. God was working a, a, a level in him for 40 years. He was 80 years old when he went back to Pharaoh. All right, some of you that are watching me, you, have think, you think life's passed you by, man. Life has not passed you by. You're just coming into your own. Abraham was 75 and left everything to respond. And the fulfillment didn't come for another 25 years. Moses was 80. Don't tell me you're too old. 
Don't tell me, you know, you're just gonna sit in a chair or you're gonna retire and do nothing. The only reason you should retire is to refire. When you retire, that gives you a freedom now that everything that's happened in your life, all your experiences, everything that you've encountered, you can begin to, remember last week, you can begin to impart before you depart. You have a wealth within you. And now that you have an understanding of grace and unconditional love, you have so much to pass to the next generation. God has been working a, a, a deep work in your life. I'm speaking to some of you that are older this morning, like me. I'm just getting started, brother. I'll tell you what, I'm just hitting stride. I'm just beginning to move like I wanna move. I'm just beginning to see what I wanna see. I'm calling every one of you that, that are over 55, 60 years old, 70 years old. Hey, we need to lead the charge in this. We've got a lot of stuff to give. How about Jesus? Jesus spent 30 years of preparation before he launched his ministry. There's a, there's a shift that takes place. And when that shift takes place, I, I've gone through a lot of shifts. The shift I'm in right now and the shift that you're going through is taking us to a place that we've never been. His presence, the presence of the Lord is constantly, continually pulling us toward himself. And all of those things that you thought were your will, they weren't your will. Now you're discovering that they were his will. Remember, remember the verse that I read to you so many times? haven't read it in a couple weeks, probably need to refresh your memory. All the things that you thought you were doing on your own, doing your own thing, now looking back, you're seeing how those pieces of the puzzle have fit together in your life until now you're, you're exactly, you are perfectly the person that God intended for you to be. Remember what it said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13? It's God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's been God working in your life the whole time. It's been God working in your life the whole time. Now he's brought you to another place. Jesus said in uh, John 14, long about verse two, he said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. We've made that about going to heaven. I don't think the many mansions are a place that he's built for you to just die and float around with the angel wings on uh, clouds somewhere for all eternity, hopping around the universe. I don't think that's what the rooms are. I think the rooms within the Father's house are levels of consciousness. And he's moving you from one level, from one room to the next. Every shift or every level of consciousness, every, every revelation takes us deeper and higher into the Father's house, takes us to the next room. He said, in my Father's house are many. The Greek word is poulos, poulos, it means a multitude or a great quantity. It means inexhaustible supply. You will never exhaust going through the rooms that are in the Father's house. With every new level, you become less attached to this world. See, that's what he's been doing. He's, we, we probably got really entrenched in the world, entrenched in making money and a living and advancing our careers. Then we came to a point when he started removing all of that, maybe through adversity, tough times, uh, temptation, maybe just through spirit, revelation. You caught it yourself and, and you just begin to let things go, right? Every, every level of consciousness he takes you to, we become less attached to the earth. Have you found that so? We become less attached to the earth to a natural level and we become more grounded in spirit. I hope you're more grounded in spirit today than you've ever been. Just imagine with me a tall building, lots of levels, lots of floors. So what God speaks to you about sonship, what God is speaking to you and manifesting in your life, they're all identified as levels of the building. So the, 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 the more you see, the faster that elevator takes you up the building. The, the more you see, the more you're able to see. That's the way it works in the kingdom. Those that don't see, don't see anything. They see even less. But you that are seeing, you're finding that you're even seeing more. So how many times have you gone to the Lord and you said, Lord, I don't understand what's going on in my life. Why, why is this happening to me? Why am I facing this circumstance? Why is this challenge in front of me? I thought you loved me. You know how much I love you. Why, why am I going through this? And you know what the problem is? We don't understand it. We're not to the level, that level where we have understanding. When he brings you to that level, you'll understand. Look how many mysteries you understand now that you didn't understand five years ago. 
You understand more about the kingdom and the function of the kingdom today than you did 10 years ago when you first started your walk with the Lord. You know nothing about the kingdom. Now he's brought you through levels and you look back and you see some of the mysteries that now you get, you understand. Let me read you a couple of verses from Colossians. Paul, Paul understood this well. Exactly what I'm telling you today at the Digital Cathedral, Paul understood. Colossians chapter two, verse two, listen closely. Colossians two, verse two. He said that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining, watch this, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance or understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God both of the, of the Father and of Christ. So he's, what, what is he saying here? He's saying, I want you to, to get full assurance and have an understanding of all the mysteries of the Father and of Christ. Then he goes on in verse three, and he says, in whom, in the Father and Christ, listen, in them are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in the Father and hidden in Christ. All right, now here's the $64,000 question. If all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in the Father and in Christ, where are they? Where do they reside? In that day you'll know that I'm in the Father and you're in me and I'm in you. That means the Father and the Christ are in us. So in us are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How about that for Revelation? You have every answer to every dilemma. Every mystery can be solved from within you. You have it. You say, well, why, why, why don't I understand it? Why, why don't I look at life and I see the hand that it's dealt me and I go, I question, you know, I question what's going on. Well, you haven't come to that place yet of wisdom and understanding. It's in you. But the spirit of truth has not drawn it out yet. Now, I see what we want to happen is this. We want the understanding first before we decide to enter into the dilemma. But the spirit of truth is pretty crafty sometimes. He draws us into a circumstance. He draws us into a situation where it's a mystery what's going on. But when we pass through and we look back, all of a sudden we have the wisdom. We understand what's going on so that then we can help somebody else come through the exact same thing that we've come through. Look, look, what, look what it says in Psalm 105. Psalm 105. Let's, let's look back at a little bit, of, little bit of wisdom from the Old Testament. Psalm 105, and I wanna just look at one verse. Psalm 105 and verse 19. Psalm 105 and verse 19. It says, until the time that this word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested Joseph. I want you to think about Joseph for just a minute. Did you ever think about Joseph? I mean, here's a young guy. He was 17 years old. His brothers threw him in a pit. Did he deserve that? No, he didn't. Did he have every right to question what's going on here? He probably did. For the next, what is it, next probably 15, 18 years, Joseph went through a series of things that we would look at and say, it's not fair. It's not right. It's unjust. Potiphar's wife accused him of, of a sexual assault. He was thrown in prison. Every situation that Joseph went into, he shined. When his brothers threw him in a pit, they sold him into slavery at Potiphar's house, he shined. He became the very best in Potiphar's house. He was thrown into prison. What did he do? Did he, did he lay back? Did he get depressed? Did he, did he just let him, his life dwindle away? No, he rose to the top. And he, and he began to, to interpret dreams. He, he eventually was released. And you know what happened to Joseph? He rose to the second in command. Let me, let me read this verse again. Psalm 105 in verse 19. Until the time that God's word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested. Now, I looked up that word tested. And it meant that it, uh, it refined him. It meant that it, it molded him. It's God's word, it's God's work. Understand? The word of God worked in him until the, the, the word was finished, the time of release came, until the right timing, the work was completed in Joseph. Until that time, the word that was spoken over Joseph's life was held in check. Does that mean God forgot him, that God threw his hands up and said, too bad for Joseph, he's, he, you know, he's too far gone, he's in prison now and there's nothing I can really do with him? 
Yeah, it's unfair his brothers threw him there, but that's, that's, that's his lot in life. Until the right time, the word was released. And what happened during that, that 15, 17, 18 year period? The word was working in Joseph. It was preparing him deeply for the task that God had, which was to be second in command in the country. In Galatians chapter six and verse nine, let me, let me read it for you. Galatians chapter six, I, I can quote it, but I, I like to read it just to make sure I get the right, the right words in the right place because sometimes I paraphrase. Galatians chapter six and verse nine, it says, let us not be weary in well-doing. Let's don't grow weary in well-doing. Our jobs is to do well, respond to what's in front of us. Let us not grow weary in well-doing for in due season, we will reap if we do not faint. It's his word, his work. You got it? So when you come to the level of wisdom and understanding, when that takes place, when that takes place, you find yourself at a new level of consciousness. And in that new level of consciousness, you look and you can understand now some of what you've come through. Some of it, Before it was a mystery. All the mysteries, all the solutions to the mysteries are hidden in Christ. And Christ is in you. It, they are all in you. They will surface. They will come to, to pass. Everything that God has spoken over you, if we understand that the word of God speaks to us, that word that he speaks to us is alive. So if the word that God speaks to us is alive, then listen, listen to me. See if you can catch this. If the word that God speaks to us is alive, then it carries within it a level of consciousness. When the word works in you, it releases the level of consciousness that that word carries. When God speaks a word, when, when, when you're in your time of meditation or prayer or you're just driving in your car quiet, all of a sudden something drops in your spirit. The word that drops in your spirit from the spirit of truth, it contains within it a level of consciousness because the word is alive. The word of God is alive and quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Writer Hebrews wasn't talking about scripture. He was talking about the word that God speaks to you. Now he may speak to you out of scripture, may speak to you uh, independent of scripture, may speak to you out of a book. But when that word drops into you, it contains the level of consciousness that will bring you the understanding of maybe what you're coming through. See, when an apple seed falls into the ground, that apple seed, if I can say it this way, carries the level of consciousness to produce an apple tree. An apple seed does not carry the level of consciousness to produce a peach tree. When you plant an apple tree, it, uh, plant an apple seed, it will produce an apple tree because that's the life that's in the seed. The word that God speaks into your life is like a seed. It carries the life of the word. And that word will grow. It will produce. And what's your job until it produces? It's just to remain faithful. It's just, it's just to keep responding. We need to let what he says to us do its work. In its time, it will produce. It produced in the life of Abraham, life of Moses, life of Jesus, and Paul is, is, is bringing the Philippians to the remembrance that the one who started a good work, it's his word, he will also complete it. It's his work. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 55 in case, in case you wonder if it will ever happen for you. I'm telling you that it will. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 55. And I wanna look at one verse, uh, I think it's verse 11. Let's see here. Yes, verse 11. Isaiah said this, he said, so shall my, capital M, that's God, so shall God's word that goes forth from his mouth, it shall not return to him void, but it shall accomplish what it pleases, and it will prosper, God says, in the thing that I sent it. His word, his work. Listen again. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing that I sent it. It will work. It's his word. It's his work. I'm going to say that 10 times this morning till you let uh, his word settle in and do its work. Let, let it work deep. Don't, don't resist the word. Don't resist the circumstance. Don't resist the maybe the mystery that you're facing. 
You'll never find one place, one time where the word that God sent did not complete fully what it was sent to do. The word will produce, including the word that was sent in flesh named Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 17 and verse 4, he said, I have finished the work that you sent me to do. I've completed it. Jesus was the word that was sent. He was the word made flesh, and he accomplished fully exactly what he was sent to do. He did not return to the Father void. He did not return to the Father not having accomplished what he was sent to do, and neither will you. You are the word that God has sent into the earth today. You are the word, you are the flesh that is being made the word. You're raising in level of consciousness and manifestation, and you're walking now as, as the word made flesh in the earth. You are you are as Jesus is in this present world. Isn't that what 1 John 4, 17 says? As he is, so are we in this world. No difference, no separation. This is the level we're walking in. We're not living for Jesus. Jesus isn't working through us. Jesus is living as us, and we're living as him. That's good news today. The word that he sent over your life, just let it hover. It's hovering, it's cooking, it's simmering and it will do its work. I, I, I assure you, I assure you, your life will not return void. It will accomplish the exact thing that it's sent to accomplish. The word that drops into your subconscious mind, it's an incorruptible seed. The word that God speaks to you, it's an incorruptible seed. Now, what does that mean? Well, if any of you have a farm background, my grandfather was a farmer. He had a, had a farm in Michigan. And I remember, when, I must have been 10 or 12 years old, he talked to me about hybrid corn seed. He was, he was going to get some hybrid seed. And he, and he told me, he said, Donnie, they all called me Donnie. And he said, Donnie, hybrid seed will produce for us on this farm more bushels per acre than regular seed. He said it will produce more bushels an acre. It's hybrid. The incorruptible word that God speaks into your life is the hybrid of hybrids. It will absolutely produce every time. It won't take you from 40 to 70 bushels per acre of corn. It will take you to 100% of what it's supposed to produce. Incorruptible is the hybrid of hybrids. It comes into you in the form of promptings. Sometimes the hybrid, will, the seed from God will come in, he'll prompt you. Sometimes it will come through maybe a prophecy or a vision or a dream or a desire or a wish that you have. The wishes that you have, they're not inspired by you, they're inspired by the Father. The, the hopes, the dreams that you have, they're from the Father. You thought it was your will. No, it's God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. They're just awaiting the time of the Father's fulfillment. Don't dig the seed up. You don't put an apple seed in the ground and run out three days later and dig it up to see if it's sprouting. You plant the seed and you forget about it. And you look out one day and you see the tree beginning to grow. And that's the way we need to respond to God's word. We just let it grow. We let it prosper. We let it develop. We let it mature. Galatians chapter four and verse four. Galatians chapter four, verse four. Hope you're sticking with me this morning. Don't leave. You need to stay with me till the end of this because we're, we're talking about some heavy duty things this morning. Galatians chapter four, verse four. It says, but when the fullness of the time had come, the fullness of the time had come. There's a timing to this. There's a timing in your life. Think about Abraham, 75, the timing was when he was 100. Moses was 80 before the timing came. Jesus, 30, Jesus was 30. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now listen to me carefully, closely. Why didn't Jesus come in the time of Abraham? Why didn't Jesus come in the time of, of uh, David or Jeremiah? Christ was with the Father. He couldn't he have come at any time. He couldn't come in the time of Abraham or Moses because the timing was wrong. When the fullness of the time was come, he sent his son. Why are you here now? Why, why, didn't, why weren't you born in, instead of 2020 living, why didn't you live in 1620 or 1820? Because everything had to be put in place for your part of the puzzle to be dropped in place, right? You're part of the eternal puzzle. Esther, what is it? Esther chapter four, verse 14. Esther, it was said about Esther that you have come to the kingdom. And I'm saying to you today, you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. This is your time. 
This is your day. Don't believe the lie. There's a lie that tries to fill the mind of every person for whatever reason that your life doesn't count. That you, you look at your life and you say, I, I haven't really accomplished anything. I haven't, I haven't had a lot of meaning. You know, I haven't been important at all. Listen, you have added to and you have inputted into more people's life, even to this point, than you're even conscious of. Just by, just by your demeanor, by your actions, the words you speak, the way you posture yourself, the way you handle yourself in situations, you have had far more influence than you could ever imagine. Don't ever downplay, don't undersell yourself. Don't look in the mirror and say, you know what, you worthless thing, I don't know why you were born, you never did anything worthwhile. You have done more worthwhile than you've ever known, and I'm gonna tell you something, the best in your life is still to come, stick with me. Stick with me. We're going places. We're doing things in the kingdom. I want to walk this journey out with you. God has brought us together for such a time as this. There'll be a time that you say, now I see it. Okay, I get it. I understand it. The mystery's clear. How could I have ever doubted what is going on? In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, this has come to be one of my favorite verses. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, it's come to be one of my favorite verses in, in, in all of Scripture. Let me read it for you. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Once in a while I expound on this verse, but it is good. It says in verse 29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. Right? Here's one of the brethren that Jesus was the firstborn of. I love this verse because it says, Whom he foreknew. And the Spirit of God quickened that to me one day. He said, do you think there has ever been one person that has ever been born that I did not know about? I had to say, no, you know what? Nobody fell through the cracks. Every person that ever came to earth, Father, you knew they were coming. And if that's true, every person that he foreknew, which is all of us, he pre-wired us. He predestined us. Predestination isn't just for a select few that Calvinism would teach. That's hogwash. That is the most, that is the most demonic doctrine in the universe, Calvinism. He didn't just predestine some for heaven and predestine to build other people to go to hell so that he could get glory while people are tortured. That's, that's, a, that's nonsense. That's not my father. Thank you. That's not my dad. Every person he foreknew, he predestined with a, with a specific purpose in mind, and that is that you would be conformed to the image of his son, that Jesus would be the firstborn among a myriad of brothers and sisters. If, you know, so you're coming to a place where you see this clearly. If, if, that's, if that's not true, then, you know, from one end of scripture to the other, we've been duped. There's coming a time that you're gonna look and you're gonna see, okay, Father, I see clearly what you had in mind. Listen, God planned the end from the beginning. God doesn't just plan out every little step as he goes along. Before God ever set this in motion, he planned the end from the beginning. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something and I will, I will uh, enlarge on this in the days ahead. You're in control of your life. You can ruin your life if you want to. You can spend it any way you want to. Now you that are with me at the Digital Cathedral, I think that we have a vision. We understand what God is doing. You're in control, but let me tell you something. God's in charge. He's always been in charge, always will be in charge. You're in control. God's in charge. You can control if you have a cheeseburger for lunch or you're going to uh, fast for three days. That's all up to you. You're in charge, but God's in control. Remember, Philippians 1.6, he that began a good work in you will complete it. It's his word, it's his work, and he will never let up on it. Remember that verse. Paul wrote to encourage them. I, I, I minister every Sunday morning to encourage you, to build you up. You never hear anything negative coming from me because I don't live in a negative world. I don't live in a negative environment. Does that mean I never face negative circumstances? Of course it doesn't. I've had my share of, of uh, hits emotional hits, physical hits, you know, but it's, it's, it's not what uh, resists you in life. It's what you do with what resists you. And I love the way Paul responded from prison. I love this guy in prison back in the darkest 
dankest cell, his feet in stocks, uncomfortable. You know, look, they didn't bring, they didn't feed them like we feed prisoners. If your friends didn't bring you food, you didn't eat. You didn't eat. They were not treated well. And in that circumstance, Paul writes this book of Philippians to encourage us, to encourage us even today. So you say, well, what about everything I've faced in life? Well, some of it was your doing. And some of it was like Joseph in the old, you had no control over it, it happened to you. It happened to you. What was going on in, when Joseph was in prison those, those 15, 18 years? Did God forget him? Did God just throw up his hands? Did Joseph quit? Did Joseph become a man of less character, of less virtue because of his circumstances? Absolutely not. I think about the three Hebrew boys and the emotional stress just naturally you're gonna face when somebody's gonna throw you in a fiery furnace. Look, that makes your blood pressure go up. I don't care who you are. That's not an easy circumstance. And yet God was with them in the middle of the fire. How about all those people in Hebrews chapter 11 verses, I think it's 32 to 40. I read those every once in a while just to encourage myself. People that faced lions were sawn in half. They wandered around in caves, desolate, had no encouragement of any kind. It says that they remain true to the promise because without us, their mission is not complete. All part of the puzzle, all part of the, all part of the grand design that God had for all of us. So you say, well, what about all the things that have happened to me? Let me tell you about life. Here's what you do. Very simple. You trust God in everything. You trust God and you leave the results to him. By living a non-dualistic life, no longer do I look at things and say good, bad, righteous, evil. I don't live those two worlds. That's, that's the wrong tree. I, I say this, I respond to God. What God prompts me to do, I try to do as quickly as I can. I try to obey as, as well as I can, as well as he enables me to. And then the results are up to him. If the results lead me into something that's a little bit adverse or a little bit tough, you know what? He's not leaving me any more than he did Paul in prison, Daniel in the lion's den, the three Hebrew boys that were tossed into fire, Moses on the backside of the desert, Abraham walking down into Egypt in the, in the middle of a famine. God was with all of them. God was with Jesus when he hung on the cross. He didn't forsake Jesus. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. When Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting Psalm, what is it, 119? And if you read on a little bit, he says, you've never forsaken me. You've never left me. He was a good Jewish boy. He knew that Psalm by heart and he was quoting it. And the, and the writers pulled part of what Jesus was saying out, but the entire verse reveals that God never left Jesus. God will never leave you. The Father never leaves you. The Father through the Son and the Spirit will walk with you through everything walked with Paul in the middle of prison. And that's what Paul's writing Philippians about. He's saying, guys, we can advance the ball down the field. We can, we can enhance the kingdom. We can make the kingdom stronger. We can bring it to a place that's never been before. That's our call, that's our destiny. This little things that we face in life now, they don't amount to a hill of beans. So he encourages us in all of this. And he tells us back, uh, Back, you know, in, in, that, in that first verse, in verses, what is it, 9 and, 9, 9 and 11, he said, I pray that your love would abound more and more. That's, that's what's going to come out of this. That's what should come out of it. If you're full of the Spirit of God and, and His Word is working in you and your life is squeezed, what's in you is going to come out, which is love. When you're squeezed, grace will come out. When you're squeezed, mercy comes out. He said, that's what I want to happen for you. I want you to be filled with the fruits of righteousness, he said. He's writing this from prison, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. That's why we live. That's why we live. So what, what is the will of God for you? What is, what is God's plan for you? I can tell you specifically what the will of God is for you this morning. You want to hear it? Let me tell you what God's will is. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, this is the will of God in everything give thanks. In everything, give thanks. In the prison, Paul's given thanks. In the lion's den, Daniel's given thanks. Middle of the fiery furnace, the boys are given thanks. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. His will is that we give thanks in all things. Leave the results to him. Don't worry about the results. Quit trying to figure out if it's right, wrong, good, evil. Obey him. Respond to him. Listen to him. 
this is, this is the time we're in, guys. This is how we manifest. This is how we show who we really are. I'm, I'm telling you what Paul was telling the Philippians from his jail cell in chains, in tough, in tough situations, in a bad condition. I'm telling you, your destiny is knocking at the door. It's not yonder somewhere. It's happening in your life today. Where you're living today, you're, you're right on time. You're in perfect position. Perfect position. We move into our inheritance with the Father on a gradual process. He takes us from one level to the next. The time is now to be calm because we know who we be. Amen? All right, let me just land this plane. It's God's word. It's God's work. Don't you ever forget it. And the one who started a good work in you will be the one to complete it. All right, next Sunday morning, we're going to pick it up at verse 18. and We'll take it down to the end of the chapter. Paul has got so many good things to say in his first chapter. Hope you've picked up on some things today. I always encourage people to go back and listen to this a second time because you're going to hear a lot more second time than you did first. And let the spirit of truth, don't listen to my words so much. I want you to pick up on the spirit that I'm conveying. And I want you to open your heart to let the spirit of truth reveal to you even deeper and beyond the words that I speak. He'll use this to minister in your life. God bless you. Thank you for your help, your prayers, your support. It's good to be part of the Digital Cathedral. Good to be part of, uh, of such a growing throng of people all over the world. Uh, what a throng of people God is assembling of like-mindedness that's carrying this gospel forward. God bless you. We'll see you when... No, I won't be there Wednesday. We're taking Wednesday nights off through June. We've, we're in the middle of moving, uh, trying to get all set up in our new place. So I'll see you on Wednesday night soon, but I'll be back next Sunday morning on the Digital Cathedral for the rest of Philippians chapter one. I'll see you then. God bless.